And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Distract sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Spock in his hand. Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 61. This is the original series edition, and my name is Scott Gardner. And my name is Chris Honeywell. (laughs) What's up, freak? Not much. Actually, I've been busy, busy, busy with work, podcasting like like it's my job lately. You so. have been very busy with the podcasting because you've been taking up all my slack. Yep, for a while. Number. For a while. It hasn't been that bad, though, really. I mean, really, I've only had to, like, we only fell upon one that I've had to edit that you edit, really, out of everything else. So it hasn't really been a crusher, you know? Six months of this? Yeah, and then I could say, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, is this is this a bad time to, to let you know I was planning to take six months off? <laughs> Ah, you're very funny, Dr. Jones. (laughs) But uh, in all seriousness, it is awesome to be back. And uh, I just wanted to say uh, a a sincere thank you to our good friend, hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, for uh, filling in for me, for for stepping into the the big chair for uh, last episode. I just listened to that. He did um, a great job, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he and and Scott Reifen both, but Scott, I will uh, will throw a shout out to in the next episode because, of course, that's the one he filled in for. But uh, I thought both the guys did a great job, and uh, I just listened to them 
um, yesterday on the ride to and from work and uh, I was just dying. I mean, the, sh- the show went like right off the rails, but it was fun. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fun to shake up the format every now and again. So well, it's kind of like those up. commercials where it's like, you know, um, down here at Butthurt Pontiac, the boss is out of town for a week in Bermuda. Right. <laughs> I, I think it was Scott Riefen that brought up uh, Assistant Editors Month, which uh, instantly I knew what he was going for because I, I remember forgot that. about that. That was a great idea. Hmm. Hmm. Oh my yeah, god, I, I was that. all about that idea, and then it slipped right out of my brain. Yeah, we <laughs> definitely ought to do that. And oh my god, it would give give us a month off. Actually, it would give us a month to maybe do like some of those secret projects that. i had had an idea ages ago that was kind of somewhat similar to that kind of like almost like doing a roast but not quite a roast where where you just you take a bunch of friends that all podcast and we all shake up each other's show like like we do dinner for geeks and dinner for geek does you know whatever other show Mm -hmm. and then that other show does their show you know something like that and you do it trying to imitate it the way they do it, maybe at first anyway, and then you just you know go off and just do your own thing with their format kind of thing. But I think that would be a that lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. I think that would be very interesting. To well, just, you, know you know how it goes. I'm always... A month or whatever, you know? I'm always, you know, sweating over Dinner for Geeks formats, too. The, the problem with that is... It, it, we'd have to do it, it like you know theoretically like if we all meet for the next for Star Wars celebration in 2000 and you know for the new what was it is it 2015 15 yeah yeah if we all meet for that then we could conceivably do a dinner for geeks you know right but otherwise it's just like either that or we'd have to like figure out maybe we'd have to meet in like second life at some virtual restaurant or something <laughs> wouldn't be the same though you know Right. Dub in noises of a the waitress will be played by <laughs> Chris's roommate. Right. <laughs> I'm sure we could figure out a yeah, way oh to, yeah. to to fudge the whole thing. I often wonder are there people that that listen, you know, maybe they they tune in, you know, just jump into the middle, you know, cuz we have people that just kind of jump into the shows all the time. Now the ones that really kind of worry me are the ones that are like hey i just discovered your show i'm gonna go back and listen to every single episode i'm like uh yeah good luck with that <laughs> see you in three years <laughs> yeah tell us what you think when somewhere there's a nice comfy room waiting for you yeah. when you finally get caught up and when they finally tell us what they think of everything when they've caught up they they have three kids now and <laughs> right and but also... i often wonder you know do they do they listen to you know, do they listen to? They realize that we're not in the same room because Skype. I, I would like to think that with the nice equipment that we have and Skype these days, only occasionally will you get that glitch that yeah. tells that somebody's on a phone or something. Right. I I I'll tell you what. When you were first taught, when we were first talking about podcasts, and you um um recommended Half Hour Wasted to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I listened to a few episodes of uh, Half Hour Wasted. I thought they were in the same room. Right. I thought they were like two guys. It sounded like two buddies just sitting together in a room that that, that they put some nice mics in and stuff like that. It didn't sound like two people like talking at a at a laptop or something. 
But yeah, I just I listened to like three or four episodes, and it, it wasn't until I was talking to you that you're like, well, one of them's in a no- totally different state than the other one. And that was when it clicked in my mind. This this shit's possible, <laughs> you know? Right. We could do this and, and make it work and make it, yeah, seem seamless. So, yeah, no, we're, we are, what, probably about a thousand miles, something yeah, like that. Yeah, little, little over a thousand, yeah. Separated by the whole rest of the country. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> well, before we go too much further into this, I have a long overdue shout out that uh, that I must give. I do sincerely apologize to the uh, the gentleman in question here, but uh, you know, with computer issues and all the other crap that's gone on here lately, it uh, it's not like I forgot because I've been sitting here on the stack, uh, you know, waiting to talk about this. It's just I hadn't been here, but uh, I wanted to say a sincere thanks to uh, our mutual friend Mike Petit, Biblio Mike Petit, because he sent me a nice little care package not long ago, and amongst other things that were in there were let's see how many is it here one two three four five issues of Marvel Comics Star Trek. Unlimited. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen these, but... Yes, I have. I think I've got a couple of them. They're really good, if I recall. They're huge. I mean, they're... they're, I don't know how many pages it is, but they are huge anthology books that generally have at least two stories in them. One classic Trek story, you know, Kirk and Crew, and then one next-gen story in them as well. And I have long wanted to read these. I've, I've never had any of the actual paper issues in my collection before, and this is a series that has been uh, recommended to me time and again. And Mike was just you know getting rid of some stuff, and he was like, here, do you want these? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take them. So thank you very much. I especially like the cover to uh, the issues that he, he sent me here. He sent me uh, issues 1, 2, 3, 8, and 9. Issue one, I don't know if it's done intentionally, but it reminds me a lot of the uh, that classic and much copied uh, Giffen cover. I think it's Keith Giffen um, to Justice League number one, you know, where they're all, you know, it's like Guy Gardner and Batman and Captain Marvel. They're all looking up at the, you know, quote unquote camera. Right. You know right. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. This is very similar to that where it's it's Kirk, Spock, McCoy and uh, Uhura. And they're all kind of looking at the camera and Kirk's actually aiming his phaser up, you know, at us, the reader. But it's really cool cover on that one. But I really love the cover to number eight because this guy, let's see. Oh, it's Sulu. Sulu, this must be older like Captain Sulu, but he's down on the ground. He's got gray temples, and he's being attacked by a Klingon. It looks like the Klingon's about to knife him. And then watching all this happen, you've got classic TV show Kirk. You've got movie Kirk. You've got Admiral movie Kirk. And then you've got Star Trek The Motion Picture Admiral movie Kirk. All all standing there watching this happen. I'm like, I don't know what this story's about, but it's awesome just because it's got four <laughs> Kirks in it. So... It was really cool. I know at some point in the series there was a story where I don't I can't remember who the I think the villains are I want to say it's Q and Trelane, but of course I have not read the story. I've only heard of the story. But I think it's um Q and Trelane yes. meet and have some sort of like chess I don't know, game like type of thing. Chess game. Yes, yeah, I, and... I have that issue somewhere. That's the, oh, that's one of the ones I read when I when I got them. I yeah, I want to get that issue because 
because uh, the captain switched crews. So you've got Kirk commanding Picard's crew on Picard's Enterprise and then Picard on Kirk's Enterprise commanding uh, Kirk's crew. Or at least that's how I heard it anyway. So I really want to read that issue too. But again, thank you so much, Mike, because uh, now you've uh, you've started me on the path of now i got to get the rest of the issues of this series. But I love the art. I mean, this to me looks like Trek comics done right because the art is fantastic. I don't know about the stories because I haven't read any of them yet, but the art is really, really nice, which continues to be and will continue for some time to be my main complaint with the comics that we're covering in the backup feature of these podcasts because once again, the comic that we're going to talk about today, man, what the hell is with the art on we're this? We're going to have some fun with that one when oh we my get to God. that. Yep. yep, it's a ooh, it's a humdinger. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got for uh, for preamble. So you said uh, you had some Star Trek news, right? I bought something on eBay, something Star <gasps> Trek eBay the other day. Or well, it was a couple a couple weeks ago, but I got it eh, about five days ago. It mm-hmm. is Star Trek Annual number uh, 1986. So it's a British, one of the British hardcover an- annuals. And it's basically reprints of two of the Gold Key comics. That actually have some really good art. Once again, the stories are bizarre, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. But the first story in it, is one I used to have this comic as a kid and it used to freak me out. Yeah, they go to this planet and the people basically look like sea monkeys with turtle shells over them and without the little antenna on their heads, but they're sort of cone-heady people and their planet is like all frozen, but there's a part of the planet with another class that's they're all like they're all beat or they're all blue, but they the other class keeps them in basically in hell in like a room full of flames and they're slowly killing them. And <laughs> it's the most convoluted, ridiculous, doesn't make sense story of all time, but it was great as a kid. And it sounds nightmare inducing. It was, it was. It's it's bizarre. And um but this also has all little extras like it has uh, a little arithmetic quiz but listen to uh, all these the writers for this gold key star trek stuff they were dark 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 um this is arithmetical inquis inquis the arithmetical inquisition <clears throat> you are part of a party of 12 men and women forced down to the planet hexagos where the sinister inhabitants are hostile towards any intruders on a lone reconnaissance mission, you are captured and brought to Hexagonian headquarters. There is no hope for you. But you, be, you, but you may be able to buy time for your colleagues to finish repairs if you can withstand the sophisticated arithmetical questioning of your captors. <laughs> In your mind are two numbers, the coordinates that give the whereabouts to your ship. You will not reveal those numbers directly, but Hexagonian hypnotism forces you to answer mathematical questions <laughs> that involve them. Can you resist the arithmetical inquisition, or are your colleagues, like yourself, doomed? These are the questions the hexagonians use. In this case, the coordinates are 11 and 90. 
And so, like, you double the first number, add five, multiply by 100, divide by two, de- deduct the number of days in an Earth year, add the second number, and once the hexagonian questioner had obtained this last number, he added 115 to it, and he got the number. And it's like, this subtle form of questioning works with any numbers between 10 and 100. Tough luck on the rest of the crew. So basically, <laughs> at the end of it, you die and your crew dies. And then it's it's also got like a board game in the centerfold that you could play a board game on. It's just really cool and cheesy at the same time. And it also has a story involving where they go to Earth and visit McCoy's daughter, who Kirk is, is macking on. And... Uh, She's a space zoologist, and she has this giant bear creature with a horn on its head that all it seems to say is R or Ara. <laughs> so I got, I'll got i send you some. And um, chapter two of it is called Furlough to Fury, chapter two, the great eye of Ara. So there you go. Oh, we would have had a field day with that as kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At one point, he actually he doesn't say Ara all the time. Sometimes he says Unga, too. So, what what are the comics that are in there though? They they were British comics. No, they were the the, British... the Gold Key comics. Oh, the Gold Key. Okay. Yeah, it's just two two issues, two full issues of the Gold Key comics and some filler, and a really bizarre on the, on the inside front and back cover. This really bizarre sort of layout of Kirk and Spock and a couple red shirts. One red shirt's dead and like flame, like he's burning in the middle and smoke's coming off him and there's like witches and weird goblin creatures and uh, there's like one red shirt who's got like a phaser machine gun looking thing. It's really weird and it has nothing to do with any of the stories in it. The, The art's very Al Williamson- like not up to par Al Williamson style, hmm. but it's neat. It it uh, yeah. It um and and actually the st- the story of this on eBay will lead in if you if I shouldn't say if when you listen to the next generation episode, you can hear part two where I'll tell you how this book led me to the other book that I have. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's about it for my uh Star Trek news. Sweet. Well, I, I was listening to you talking about the uh that John Byrne annual that you got and uh it looks like there's going to be more of that stuff coming along in the future. Plus they're doing something with Harlan Ellison's original treatment for um Oh, for uh, City on the Edge of Forever as oh, well. Oh, interesting. So they're sort of doing like the Star Wars that Dark Horse is yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very... Uh, it seems very almost like a little exploitive, but at the same time, no, I want to see those. That's a, I think it's a good idea. At first I'm like, ah, they're kind of milking stuff with those, but then it's like, yeah, why not? You know, why not have a chance to see it, you know, visualized? Yeah. I mean, I'm personally, I'm not all that interested in it myself, but I can see where people would be. I'm more interested in the the Star Wars. 
than the mm-hmm. Harlan Ellison one. But the Harlan Ellison one will is interesting because I I read it not too long. I believe it was Mike Poteet. Was it? It was either Mike Poteet. Yeah, I think it was Mike Poteet who sent that to me. I think so. Yeah, I believe so. And um, it's different in a lot of fundamental ways, but at, at the same, and I, I it would be interesting to see it visualized and see how it flows. I like the way it, the, it ended up better than the Harlan Ellen version, Ellison version, which is seems odd for me. But um, I wasn't completely averse to the Harlan Ellison version either. There were there was some really neat stuff that got left out, but most of the right. stuff that got left out probably should have left out. Or you know, I can <laughs> see why it would go in the in this for the sake of brevity and. TV format and all that. Oh. That's interesting. I hear we have mail, though. We do. Do we want to go ahead and tackle that right now? We can do that. We got all kinds of feedback. I have really been uh, appreciative of the listeners. They have really stepped up as far as the uh, feedback goes and have really been chiming in. And I, I like that because I like having other stuff to talk about. And I just like to know what are the listeners thinking uh, of the episodes that we're putting out. So I have a nice little stack here. I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in. First one is from Mike Lacroix. And uh, he is the host of the Canadian Military History Podcast. And he's writing in to ask me specifically a question here he says scott he says are you ever going to finish the thought from star trek monthly monday number 51 the wrath of khan commentary he says at one hour 14 minutes 14 seconds he says the line about mccoy being jiminy cricket oh wait look a simon on the wall and then i'm i'm not sure i mean i'd have to go back and listen to it now to try to gather what my thought must have been but just based on the quote that uh that mike's using here i can only imagine it was I was probably starting to talk about the fact that um, I always thought McCoy was very inconsistent between Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek II. Because in Star Trek The Motion Picture, he pretty consistently for like the first like three-fourths of that movie is giving Kirk crap about how Kirk got the Enterprise back. And Kirk, I mean, could have been nicer about that situation as far as... I mean, Decker really does get screwed over in that first movie. Oh, yeah. Kirk just... Kirk knows he's being a dick, but he can't help himself. He can't help it. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing about it. and But McCoy's always been like that, but just almost a little too aggressive sometimes. You know, God damn it, Jim, what are you doing? You know, all the time. So that was very in his character, I thought, for him to ride him on it. It is. But You're old, same Jim. Way, old. You know, for, <laughs> for for McCoy supposedly being you know one of Kirk's two best friends, there's a lot of moments of tension between the two of them where McCoy isn't really being his friend. But I, I can only imagine that's what I was talking about with the with the Jiminy Cricket reference. But then in Star Trek Two, he does a complete. I mean, a complete 180 where. Kirk's old and he's desk bound and everything. And McCoy's the one that's like, you know, you really need to get back on the horse, uh, get yeah. right back out there and get command of a ship. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is not what you said one movie ago when you were giving Kirk nothing but shit. Well, you know, for sometimes having your gotten back to the Enterprise at all. Well, this is true. Or McCoy was wrong in Star Trek the Motion Picture. 
Yeah, he maybe he came around to well, you know, he but, did kind of like save the planet and everything, so maybe he is a good starship. He's captain. he's a hothead and he's grumpy and he was a little older and he's been doing his doctor thing, you know, and doing his own thing, and then he's just like, ah, god damn it, I don't want to save the universe again. But by the end of the movie, you know, you're so he's probably back in the swing of it, going, oh yeah. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. they had the, kind of like that the, five-year mission. I remember what this was like, you know. Well, you know, they had the post-saving the the world after party, you know, with all the hookers and blow, and and you know, McCoy was Space already, you know, he had his, yeah, you know, he had his medallion, and you know, he was wearing his his open-collared shirt, and you know, they they went down to to Space Club fifty-four, and you know, and now he's now he's all cool with you know, all right, well, you got to do the saving the world thing more often because that was a cool party. I wonder what happens with the food simulators if you order up a a mirror, four lines of space blow on a mirror, please, computer. They <laughs> send down security uh, security detail. All right, our next one here is from our buddy Greg Kirkman, and he's writing in to uh, clear up uh, uh, some confusion because there was a word that he used in one of his uh, emails that I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, dude. So the subject line on this one is simply Greeblies. He says, Greeting freaks, sorry for the confusion caused by my last email. As a modeler, I sometimes forget that not all nerds are versed in modeling terminology. Greeblies are a nickname for all the complex detailing on certain visual effects models. Uh, for example, the excessive um, uh, amount detail parts on the Millennium Falcon, which make it look like a battered hot rod. The origin of the term is unclear, but it may have originated at ILM during the making of the original Star Wars and possibly earlier than that. So in the context of my email, I was referring to the fact that the Enterprise gained a ton of extraneous detailing in the post-2001 and Star Wars era movies and TV series. Mind you, I love the motion picture Enterprise, but the Trek universe seems to have undergone a technological regression between the series and the movies. Hmm. Well, it could have helped that Industrial Lights and Magic mm-hmm. were helping with a lot of the special effects at certain points. Yeah. Um... See, I don't know if I would agree with that last sentence about you know a, a technological regression, but I, I see what he's going for—that they went from smooth lines and everything to now you know there's a little bit of more bells and whistles, more bells and whistles, and a little more Star Warsization to to, to the way the ships look and everything. But I know I just took that as you're going from you know a black and white tv set to the big screen you yeah. know i mean i don't know i mean it's a poor analogy i guess but he continues got, here he says ah, i'm sorry go ahead well, you got to give the modelers something to do exactly yeah it says uh, matt jeffries was a military man and an expert on aircraft so his enterprise was sleek and futuristic later incarnations were designed by tv and movie artists without that background who just wanted the technology to look cool and complex for those in the know, model wise, uh, modeling-wise, Abrams' version of the Enterprise is an over-designed hybrid of the TOS and TMP Enterprises, with mixes and matches detailing uh, with no thought whatsoever as to function. For example, the TMP ship has three spotlight slots at the base of the bridge, which serve to illuminate the registry on the saucer. On the Abrams Prize, <laughs> I love that name, says these designs are retained but the center slot is now the bridge's window slash view screen. What? He says, keep on trekking. 
Craig Kirkman. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, it may seem really, really nitpicky to others, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, our, our Trek audience that's out there follows me on this. That was honestly one of my biggest beefs with the new movie was making the view screen was an actual like window. That's just stupid. Right. I'm ge- that, yeah, that's impractical. It just completely leaves you open to attack. I mean, using the the submarine analogy of you know the the Enterprise because I I think that was purposely done by Roddenberry and and crew and the original series the design of the of the bridge was supposed to kind of give you that that submarine feel I mean on a submarine well it looked like a nautical it was it was uh, right um, actually in one of those uh, Gold Key comics they refer to it as the SS Enterprise <laughs> right yeah and, uh, but um. Yeah, a, 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 I mean, it's named after a Navy ship. Right. You know, it's, but I mean, on a submarine, the, the command center is not somewhere vulnerable. It, it's not like on a blister. It's not a bubble not in the, the front. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, in, it's, the, it's it, in the heart, most protected part of the ship. Exactly. Yeah. That, well, that you makes... see, that's the... I uh, Not to go into the differences between Old Trek and new trek which i'm hoping is just a fart in a windstorm um <laughs> it's oh john elton john should write that song you're just a fart in a windstorm you know to the <laughs> seem to me can't, can't live your life that. like some like a, like a gas in bag in the wind <laughs> we should write that song <laughs> never knowing where you're going when the transporter kicks in. <laughs> All right. But the, the, the old, old track, while not, while, while A, being science fiction, that means it didn't bow completely. God knows it didn't bow completely. It, it bowed completely to entertaining. But they made an effort, a concerted effort. They even tried even harder with Next Generation to put some science, real science behind it, you know, so that people who are scientific minded or so there was a reason for why things were in a certain place. And right. I, I know they tried with Star Trek, the next generation to make sure a certain percentage of their techno babble that they would spout had some sort of basis in reality. You know, you could... You could actually take it and parse it down and say, "Oh, okay, they're doing this and this and this." You know, it. it they tried, you know, and that was thrown out the window with, with these ones. They have them beaming, you know, across the universe and stuff like that. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll just nip that in the bud. <laughs> the guy went far enough. I was singing. <laughs> Our next one here is from Brian Hughes, and Brian has the distinction of being the first of many that called me out about something. It's one of those things where, man, you just you got to watch what you say sometimes on these shows with a with a heavy nerd following, because if you say the wrong thing, the next thing you know, everybody's pointing out what an idiot you are. And what's funny was, you know, you you edit Star Trek Monthly Mondays, so. You know, you edit it and you put it together and everything. And as soon as I listened to the episode that he's going to be referring to here, I answered my own question to myself. I'm like, wait, I totally forgot about this moment in in this movie. 
And but by that point, it's too damn late. You know, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and Brian, as I say, is the first of many that are going to point out this to me. So he writes, uh, subject is just Star Trek Monthly Monday TOS. He says, Scott and Chris, he says, in regards to your question, when has a turbo lift ever been referred to as an ele- elevator? Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> McCoy says, who's been holding up the damn elevator? Which I know because I can quote that movie to you. I know this. I just didn't think about it. He says, I can't believe this. He says, you tell us how you spent practically a whole summer watching this movie over and over on HBO. It is the reason you got into Trek in the first place. And you don't remember this? He says, just having fun with you. But yes, I know. I beat myself up over it so badly. And then all of the, the emails and, most, and mostly it was PMs. People kept PMing me going, dude, you, don't you remember? And I'm like, yes, I remember. Shut up. Yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> this is regarding patterns of force from IMDB Trivia. Episode filmed on the 25th anniversary of the Holocaust. Oh, oh Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, both being of Jewish backgrounds, felt compelled that Kirk, disguised as an SS uh, commodity, I can't even, commodator, I guess. It's a German word. I don't know. And Spock, despised as a Gestapo, that I can pronounce should defeat the uh, Nazi Reich on planets Ecos and Zeon. That's just funny. That Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> this is on the comic side, it's funny. You guys had all the gremlin talk, and Scott was talking about the Mogwai. Uh, we actually named our dog, a Shih Tzu, Mogwai. Spitting image in the face, except the eyes are not mechanical. <laughs> That's good. I, since I, too, saw the who's who stuff burned it, and hope we would get his take on Trek while at DC. At least we finally got the IDW stuff, which I hope you will do a spotlight episode on someday. I tell you what, dude. I swear to God, if these comics continue in the mm-hmm. vein that they have been, they I'm might ditching just this start whole showing segment. up as a Star yeah, Trek exactly. comic. Yeah. I... Man, you know, it's been fun up till now, but it's getting ridiculous. <laughs> it is really getting bad. I, I, I'm, I'm really leaning toward the fact that with the remaining issues of the series which at this point i think there's like 12 or 13 of them maybe we'll just lump burn through them like i did with the with the marvel star trek stuff uh way back when we first got started and and just get them out of the way because i'm not feeling it with these so far band-aid off man uh he continues here uh i have read the trade of romulan's uh pawns of war and found it really awesome yes it was it was great it really felt like tos and I love the use of the Yorktown, which most people didn't know uh, became the 1701A. Uh, I got that from Shane Johnson, who is a friend, and wrote Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. Oh, that's cool. Says, anyway, I own that keep, book. Uh, yeah, I do, too, somewhere. I'm not sure where it is at the moment, but yeah, I have that one, too. Uh, says, anyway, keep recording them. I will keep listening. And again, that's from our buddy Brian Hughes. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. We have another very short one here from our buddy uh, Michael Kwa, once again, uh, the host of the Canadian Military History Podcast. He just writes simply number 42. McCoy says, who's been holding up the damn elevator in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? That's all he wrote. I'm like, yes, I know. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Uh, Let's see. This next one here is from Jason Trenner. He says, Kirk and Spock fighting space stormtroopers. Star Trek Monthly Mondays, TOS edition. Hi, guys. Cool to hear you got the novelization for TAS, Chris. What is, oh, it's the animated series. Yep. 
I uh, hope that plays into the eventual TAS special or whatever. Yeah, the observers from Trek seem to get involved, uh, though for who watches the watchers, it was by accident and not because they wanted to be seen. Though you got to wonder if anyone on the those duck blind cloaked bases got bored and started mooning their subjects unseen by them. A bit crude, but when people get bored, maturity can uh, fall. I think he's talking about um, that episode. That was a T, uh, TNG episode, right? The Who Watches the Watchers? Yes. The duck blind failed. It says, uh, now what the hell was John Gill thinking that uh, culture was the best one to use as a model for anything other than pure evil? And he's a historian. He's talking about patterns of force. Of course, the writers of Patterns of Force couldn't avoid making everything a bit uh, on, an, on the nose for injustice, hammering home everyone just a bit more than needed. Yes, the implanted transponders should be standard issue for TOS, TNG, and such, though practical use of technology and dramatic sense for a TV show are two different animals entirely. I agree. And yeah, this, is, uh, this was an odd episode to comment on the odds of what happened when weirder things happened before, and this one had a logical reason. I'm sorry, I don't follow that sentence at all. As for Miri, while the odds get even bigger, as it is theorized in Christopher L. Bennett's Trek novel Forgotten History, that copy of the Earth is a version from another reality that ended up in the prime verse, as it is called. Not sure how uh, much you'd like that idea, but I find it interesting. Eh, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to read that because I like Christopher Bennett's stuff. The thing about it is, still, the universe is so humongous. Right. The the odds of another Earth from another dimension showing up, okay, I can buy that, but then running across it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now to see if Scott says the last word in that previous paragraph like he does when I use it in... Back to the bin's email. Um, last word in the previous paragraph is inter- oh, interesting. Okay. I guess that's what he wanted me to say. Interesting. Interesting. Words fail me on the Star Trek comic. That was just nuts. My God. Yeah, it's going to get even stranger, too. Stay tuned. Hang on. <laughs> anyway, on the Apple, there is one thing to note. One of the two security officers that dies in this is the Primeverse counterpart of the security officer that Kirk in the J.J. Abrams movies dubs Cupcake. Not really important, but I felt it was worth bringing up. Huh. All right. (laughs) I had no idea. Uh, Oh, supposedly going by memory beta, the people on that planet in the Apple are descendants of Sargon's people, and Vol was to keep them in that crude state so they... Didn't cause another war like the one they fled from. Hmm. That's. I wonder where that comes from. That's right. He says it's on memory. Memory beta, which is the. That's the wiki for. In Trek's case, it's non-canonical. Um. Ex- what they. What. What. If this was Star Wars, we'd call it expanded universe. Right. So it's the memory beta is the site for Star Trek stories that are like in comics and novels and stuff like that. So I wonder what story that actually comes from. That's an interesting idea to tie the two of those together. Mm-hmm. That is neat. I, I never would have thought to tie those particular ones together. But Much I more of... interesting than the idea we're going to see soon enough. <laughs> right. 
Uh, he says, well, hope the episode and the comic are better than number 42 of the DCTOS comic. Ooh, is that the one we're up to tonight? I'm not sure. I think the one we're doing tonight is 43. 43, it is. All right, we got one here from Greg, another one from Greg Kirkman. He says, more Trek thoughts. He says, greetings, freaks. I've been ruminating uh, some more on the topics raised in the last episode of uh, Trek Monthly Mondays. Thanks very much for your discussion of my email. Regarding model kits, I should point out that as a kid, I sucked at it too. <laughs> Don't sell yourselves short. It's taken a lot of years and a lot of patience uh, and more than one time where I quit completely to produce work that I'm somewhat happy with. A good selection of models I've done can be seen here, and he does give us uh, a link here. It's uh, ship, uh, excuse me, Starship Modeler, all one word, starshipmodeler.com forward slash gallery, forward slash gallery two. It's gallery and the number two, again, all run together, dot CFM. Uh, just pull up my name from the list of people who submitted model photos. Uh, and this is uh, from Greg Kirkman. I don't know if I mentioned that. It says, also, there's a long-running thread at the Burns Robotics Forum where we discuss Trek models and which features pretty much all of my work. I even scratch-built a model of the USS Ventura from Burns Crew comic because I love the design and think he's one of the few comic artists who really gets Matt Jeffrey's design sense. And he says, then, he says uh, then there's my blog, modeling blog, and that one is enterproject.wordpress.com. I won't be building that one 350th scale TOS Enterprise for quite a while, however. I really want, uh, want it to be special and need to put a lot of planning into the lighting and electronics. To say nothing of the one 350th scale motion picture enterprise that's also waiting for me. Just check YouTube to see some astonishing builds that people have done with both of these kits. Amazing. And I haven't even mentioned all of my prop replicas I've built, nor the replica of TOS's uh, Bridges dedication plaque, which hangs proudly on my wall. Oh, that sounds cool. That would be real. That'd be a great thing for a nerd cave right there to have the dedication plaque from the Enterprise in your nerd cave. That would be cool. Tell you what, he should. Um, it's Greg Kirkman, right? Uh-huh. Greg, you should go. I I believe you're on our Facebook page. Post those pictures up. Yeah, I'd love yeah, to I see, see all that stuff. I'm sure everybody yeah. would love to see all that stuff. I do. I want to see this stuff. Says anywho, enough of my self-aggrandizement. No, self-aggrandize away, dude. I do it all the time. That's why you write in. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying that's your motivation for writing in, but it should be. <laughs> Back to business, he says, regarding the cultural perception of TOS, I do agree that the first two seasons contain weaker elements than uh, that the public has picked up on. But the third season is so largely cartoonish and goofy that I think it deserves the bulk of the blame. For me, the first two seasons are largely excellent, while that third season just feels off in every single way. As if it's a completely different show at times. Super hammy Kirk, Spock with no understanding of human behavior, heavy-handed metaphors, etc., etc. I will agree with you for the most part. However, as I think we're going to show tonight, I mean, this episode we're, we're going to uh, talk about tonight is a third season episode. I can't remember if the, ep if the recording had actually started when I said this to Chris or not, no. but I was surprised to, to find that this was a third I didn't remember this one as a third season. I thought this was a second season episode. And... While I'll give you that it does have some Kirk Hamminess in it, I think this is actually one of the better episodes. I really do. 
So I don't know. I I agree with what you're saying. On the whole, the third season, I think, is, I mean, it's clearly the weakest season, and it is subject to all of the things that you say here. However, there are a couple of gems in there that could easily be pulled out, and except for a few cosmetic things like, you know, Kirk Gut and things like that, could be a first or season, mm-hmm. uh, first or second season episode easily, like Tholian Web. It's not the wasteland that people paint it to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, because you got Tholian Web, you've got, um, um, Savage Curtain, this one, and, there, and like one or two other ones as well. Cloudminders. <laughs> no. said, <laughs> I agree with you guys. In that track, we'll be around for a long time to come. Amen. Says, I've learned not to waste time and money on things I know I won't enjoy, like a lot of recent comics and movie adaptations of comics. That said, it just kind of burns me when, in my opinion, inferior versions of something I love are so lovingly embraced by the public. Yes, I bitch about this continually. And even longtime fans. Yes, that bugs me even more. Celevi, I suppose. Unfortunately, it seems that absolutely no entertainment property is sacred or bulletproof anymore. If they can remake RoboCop, remake the thing, and have two Superman movie reboots of dubious merit within less, flip the page, than a decade, then anything's possible. If I turn my brain off, the first Abrams movie can be both entertaining and enjoyable. It's the best Star Wars movie since Jedi. But this is Trek, and I can't pretend that Abrams films exist in a vacuum. See, this is my problem. I, I hear so many, and, and believe me, I, I'm not taking you to task at all, Greg. I completely agree with you. But you bring up something that is a severe sore point for me. Not to get it up on another new Trek thing, but I just got to mention, because you brought it up here. Your sentence starts with, if I turn my brain off, the first Abrams film it can be both entertaining and enjoyable. You I know totally, what? I totally I agree with that. I completely agree with you. My my bitch with that is, this is Star Trek. I'm supposed to engage my brain. If there's one movie series that I ever went to and watched the films with my brain turned on, it was Star Trek. I can go to any other of my franchises, Star Wars, Superman, whatever, you know, a, a Die Hard movie, a, a blow em up action tits movie, whatever, with my brain turned off and munch popcorn and have a friggin' blast. I don't want to do that with Star Trek. I want to have a Star blast, Trek is, but I don't yeah. want to have get a, something to chew on. It doesn't yeah. have to be the deepest shit in the world, but something right. to something to think about. Even, you know, accepting the Abrams movies, even the shittiest of Star Trek movies, and, you know, take your pick. Everybody has their own perceptions of which ones they don't like, you know? For me, it would be, say, I'll, I'll pick on First Contact, which I really don't like that movie. Even that one gives me food for thought. So, yeah, not Star Trek. Anyway, uh, well, I like the cast mostly, although they occasionally cross the line into doing caricatures of the original actors. My gut feeling is that those characters should not have been recast. There are certain properties where the actors and the characters are totally inseparable, and I feel TOS is one of them. I think those characters should be left alone, uh, aside from non-live action stuff like comics and novels. Preach See, it, brother. Preach I, it. I leaned, I leaned towards that, but I gotta tell you, it, it actually galls me more to see, because I didn't think they could do it, and in the first movie, I I remember being like my 
if they they have to if they don't get Kirk right, the whole movie's gonna collapse. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy's a little more frat boy, Kirk. But you know what? The actor so the actor really was selling it and did his homework. And all the actors I thought did that. And then I and then it made me angry because it's like, you know what? I'd like to see these guys. I could watch. I could watch these guys, accept them as those characters, if they were doing something truly Star Trek. You know what I mean? I think, th- and and if they were given something to do Star Trek, and they were give you know a TV series or something, and started acting together a lot, I think it could be really good. But they don't. I don't. They don't have the, the second movie was the the just you know confirmed that forever that it's like. All right, these people are here. They're their characters, but they're never going to get a script to actually really get a chance to do what See, they could do. You know. See, you've you've said that before, and to a degree, I agree with you. But I I lean more to what Greg's tra- talking about here. That there are certain characters that they and and the actor that has portrayed them have become inseparable. Kirk is that to me. I mean, honestly, I don't see why they don't under, uh, you know, I mean, I, I ultimately, I agree because, you know, uh, you want to bring back Star Trek. All right. Bring back Star Trek a hundred years past next generation. Right. You know, or something like that, or 200 years past next generation and see where it's gone from that. If we've even become more pretentious and, and uh, and snotty towards aliens in that <laughs> have we become more like Q? Have we, you know, you a Star Trek two hundred years in the future could have a member of the Q on on board the ship. You know, it could right. have it could have things happening in a totally different way and explore even more complex science fiction ideas, but. Right, but in, but that's too scary, and that takes too much imagination and work to to make it good, when you've already got identifiable characters. Mm-hmm. You see, I think it's more possible to re to reboot the characters of the original crew than say, a rebooted Next Generation. Just because Next Generation is a couple decades fresher. You know well, it's I'm, fresher, but also arguably those characters are a little more and i'm talking about the entire cast they're I think, established because they played those characters way more right than, exactly than they played them, shatner played yeah they, they played them for a full seven seasons plus several movies plus wharf um yeah went to you know is the longest yeah. star trek character on film so you know yeah it would be really hard to do those but See that that's where Kirk's the one that I'll pull out because I I think that uh uh Carl Urban does a great McCoy and everybody else in the cast Spock aside I they're completely I, see this is my problem I, you know I'm not even going to go there the, the rest of the seven dwarfs are completely interchangeable in my opinion I I I still maintain that there's no need for for every single Trek adventure to have Uhura Sulu, Chekhov, and Scotty in it. I, I just I don't agree with that because they were not in every single episode, despite popular perception that they were. 
But the one that you can't get away from is Shatner as Kirk. Kirk is Shatner and Shatner is Kirk. It's just like that, it, you know, and there's no separating the two of those. So you have the problem of you recast that role and either the guy's going to be accused of, well, you're not doing Kirk or they're going to be accused of, well, you're just doing Shatner. So the guy, whoever is ever cast in that role, you can't win. It's a no win situation. Because you can't bring yourself to it, and if and, you don't bring Shatner to it, then you're accused of, you know, right. so that being it's a said, no win. That being said, I think he did it, which was very Kobayashi Maru, you know, which, you know. He, the new guy? Yeah, I think he pulled See, it I, off. I, I really don't. I, I was I, really I just, prejudiced against him, too. I was really prejudiced. I was just like, ah, oh, WB-style pretty boy actor. Yeah. And I think he especially I th- just with the material they were handed, it's a miracle any of them could pull off their character. Um, and any problems I have with the characters is how they were written, like Uhura. Uhura is not a very good. She's not very professional. She but got booted off the bridge. I don't care right. you, who you are. You don't. You don't like talk. She was just like being a jerk to all her superior officers mm-hmm. and and i mean the original Uhura was like a she was a strong woman but she was a professional she was like uh, everybody on the bridge was on the job and but yeah i think given good scripts and and star trek feel i could i could be looking forward to new Star Trek movies with that cast. I, I just could, you know, I mean, the the same as like the fan-made Star Treks where it's like, okay, this guy's not Kirk, but, you know, I'm going to have to go along with it while we're doing it. But this this guy actually, like, Kirk as he is in the movie, it, it meshes and it has enough of... And I like that he didn't do a Shatner. See, the, the problem for me now is I, I feel the same way about New Trek as I feel about the new Superman stuff coming out. Is that, you know, the next movie and the next hundred movies they do could be awesome. They could completely nail it. But you've already lost me. Because I said, and I meant it, goddammit, that if they remade Wrath of Khan... I was out and they remade Wrath of Khan and didn't even have the balls to come out and admit that they were remaking well, here's the it thing. until yeah, but it was here's done the, and in the theater. Here's and the I, thing. You know, they tried, I'm out. They tried out. to do the, we re, they tried to do the remake of Wrath of Khan and not a remake of Wrath of Khan at the same mm-hmm. time. And, you know, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, go for it, you know, have some balls and say, Oh yeah, I know you're going to be pissed that we're doing Wrath of Khan. But we're doing it anyway, you know, mm-hmm. and and do the hell out of it. And then you're going to have to really do it good if you're going to sell it. But then if you can sell it, you're king of the world. Right. But it, the, the, it, it's it's that half-assy pussyfoot and shit that, that can just ruin something of just like, well, let's try to make everybody happy. And, you know, and I think actually the movies are audacious in a way, but they're audacious in a really like in the wrong direction. Right. So the, the, yeah, I, I mean, a remake of wrath of Khan could have been very witty and they tried to make it seem like that, but you know, eight, no, 
ain't nobody was buying it. Not the critics, not the viewers. Ain't nobody was buying the Rathacon aspect of it. I didn't really hear anybody just going, you know, I didn't think they could reimagine this and make it blah, blah, blah. <laughs> because they didn't really. They just sort of... It's... It, uh, yeah, the less said about it, the better. Right. Yeah. Despite ourselves, we're... We're descending back into Abrams bashing again, and I don't want to do that. Green tea and mellow out, man. (laughs) Uh, Greg continues here. He says, I'm dubious enough about old versions of Luke, Han, and Leia coming to theaters. Will they eventually be recast too? Um, Yes. Hopefully long after I'm dead. But yes, I I imagine that'll happen one day. Uh, Properties like Trek and Wars aren't the same as James Bond or Batman. The actors are, I feel, an integral part of what makes them work. James Bond exists in a vacuum. Right. He he has a girlfriend at the end of this movie. It doesn't matter because he doesn't have a girlfriend at the beginning of the next movie. Did it take place after the last movie? Who knows? Who cares? It's just Mm -hmm. there he is. It's his next adventure. These are Star, Star Trek and Star Star Trek and movies and Star Wars have storylines that right. progress. Yeah. So of course, since Trek uh, had become dead in the water when Abrams came along, it only makes sense that they would go back to the most popular and well-known incarnation for the reboot, for the cash grab, brand recognition factor. But I still don't like it. Well, you and me both, brother. Says playing in the TOS universe is still viable, but I think Kirk and his crew should be off limits. Now, I would have loved for Enterprise to be a series about the early adventures of the original Enterprise under the command of Robert April, and I generally like the fan films set on the other Constitution class uh, starships more than those which simply recast Kirk and crew in order to present new TOS adventures. That cast and those characters had their run. They can still live forever in reruns and books, but without those actors, uh, it just isn't classic Trek, you know? Sometimes the best way to honor something is to leave it alone and focus on coming up with something new and equally compelling to look forward, not back. I may have issues with TNG and the other spinoffs, but I respect the fact that they were uh, their own thing and didn't go out of their way to rewrite or recast TOS unlike Abrams and Company. As I noted previously, Enterprise failed for me because it just didn't feel like a prequel to TOS. Instead, it was more of a prequel to the TNG era and tried to steal a lot of firsts from Kirk and crew. Just the idea of an original Enterprise uh, that did a ton of really important stuff before Kirk and crew is full of prequelitis, like, say, Anakin building 3PO. You know, I, I, I can't argue with you on any of these points because the points you're bringing up about Enterprise are all the points why I walked away from Enterprise back when it was airing. However, having come back and finished watching the show, uh, I have since done show and then a second watch through of seasons three and four. I will vigorously defend Enterprise seasons three and four because the show did get better it is an instance in my in my personal opinion i think it's a wonderful example of somebody listening to their fans of somebody going "Ooh, they don't like this shit that we're doing we better turn it around because they really don't like this i wish to god 
that fandom, you know, still had people in control that did that. And we don't these days, you know, the, the comics do whatever the hell they want to do, despite what the fans say, the, the movie franchises are obviously doing whatever the hell they want to do, despite what the fans say, but enterprise, the, whoever it was that was in charge of that, I honestly believe that they tried their damnedest to turn it around and they were turning it around. And I still say it's a crime that that show got canceled after just four seasons, because by the end of season four, I, I felt like the majority of the issues that people had had been addressed. And that show was on its way to greatness. And it's just a shame that it got, you know, that the plug got pulled because if you haven't watched all four seasons, Greg, I would highly encourage you go back you know, if you're familiar enough with the story and what's going on, don't even rewatch the first two seasons because, yeah, they they're not very good. Start with the third season, watch it through to the end, and hopefully you'll change your mind about it. Um, the Vulcan thing is still a little wonky. I never really liked what they did with the Vulcans. But that aside, I, I, I'm serious. I, I'm a fan of Enterprise. That show was really good when it was canned. It's, it's just a shame. Uh, he rounds out here saying, anyway, uh, Burns from Any book is out, and I really enjoyed it. It's been confirmed that he'll be doing a series of them, although not a monthly one. If you guys ever do a Burns-centric episode, I'd love to discuss my thoughts on his various, uh, various series. Since I've followed their development at his forum and had many discussions with him about the nerdier details, he and I largely are largely in agreement regarding many of the finer points of TOS, although we've had our disagreements. And I've loved his stuff. I'm still working on collecting the DC Trek series so I can read through that too. Sorry again about the lengthy email. Don't apologize. I like long emails. This is all, though I, uh, it helps you stall for time uh, before you have the actual work of covering this month's episode in comic. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Craig. Oh. <laughs> How true yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, it's very true in this case. Um, you know, we've got several more, but because we're up against the clock, I'm going to go ahead and call it right here. Does that work? Works for me. All right. So I apologize to anybody that I didn't get to yet, but uh, we will get to them. I'm not throwing them in the in the circular file. It's just, uh, like I say, we are up against the clock. So I'm going to call it there. And uh, you want to take a little break and then get into the episode proper? Okay. All right. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you have yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It, it really doesn't work well. So I checked right. uh, I checked my, uh, mm -hmm. my pre-booking. It definitely built, built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers.
Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday 61. We are going right into this month's episode, which is... For the world is hollow, and I have to sky! <laughs> For the world is porno, and I have touched myself. <laughs> I, think, I think that actually should be a, should be a porno title, right? He has a year to live at the most. Who is it? The ship's chief medical officer. You. Is there a woman for you? No. I wish you to stay here, on your nada, as my mate. And your disobedience, and agree to the insertion of the instrument of obedience. He will be told what must be done. Temperature 111 degrees and rising. You've located the controls? No, but I've seen the book that contains all the knowledge of the creators. I will have you put to death. You can help him. Until you are dead, he will think of you and disobey. I will see you die. Kirk and Spock have committed sacrilege. The punishment is death. All right. <laughs> The uh, synopsis on this one out of the Nitpicker's Guide for Classic Trekkers by Phil Farrand reads as Discovering a large spacecraft designed to look like an asteroid, Spock calculates its projected course and informs Kirk that it will impact on a densely populated planet. Hoping to prevent the collision, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam over. They materialize on what looks like the surface of a world. Soon a woman appears who introduces herself as Natira, High Priestess of Yonada. Their ancestors built this craft to replant their race from one star system to another. When Natira takes a special interest in McCoy, and boy does she ever, she's a fast operator. Oh, she does not, uh, yeah, she <laughs> does not let her feelings uh, stay bottled up. <laughs> no, she doesn't keep it to herself. Uh, and asked to become his wife, the doctor agrees. Only recently he had learned that he suffers from an incurable disease, and he wants to make the most of the time he has left, and he wants to make it with her. Just after the ceremony, Natira shows her new husband a special book of knowledge. <laughs> McCoy immediately <laughs> recognizes it as, as the, the manual... joy of sex. Yeah, as <laughs> the Kama Sutra, as the manual for the ship. With this book, Kirk and McCoy restore the craft to its original heading and, in the process, find a storehouse of knowledge that includes, wait for it, a cure for McCoy. Of course it does. Bound by her duty uh, to her people, Natira stays behind to help her people make the transition to their new home as the recovered McCoy departs with the Enterprise. And, you know, it's not a bad synopsis, but man, it sure out. omits. Yeah, it omits a lot of the great stuff in this episode. It omits episode. all of the violence. <laughs> all of the wonderful, wonderful violence. It's full of it. I mean, they beam down on the planet and they meet Natira after getting in a knockdown, drag out fight with guys with pointy hats and swords. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. What a great fight that is, too, man. Kirk kicks the helmet right off that guy. That just, like, that's instant, like, crack up for me when I'm watching it. 
And I couldn't my... tell if maybe Shatner really connected or something, but that guy's helmet went flying. I've often wondered if uh, if Shatner ever really thumped on oh, some of the Oh, he must sports. have. He must have connected with those stuntmen so many times. <laughs> My father used to love this episode, and I can't believe that it was ever a mystery to me why. But watching it again now as an adult so many years later, it's like, okay, I think I see two big reasons why my dad <laughs> really liked this episode. <laughs> yes, there's quite a frontal assault with this episode. <laughs> yes, there is. She, uh, you know... I know I have often been very harsh about the female guest stars on the original Star Trek, but she's not one of them. She, uh, I think she's a doll. A little heavy on the eye makeup and false eyelashes, but otherwise, yeah, she's pretty. She yeah, pretty she girl. <laughs> I was doing some reading up on her. Sadly, she is deceased. She died, uh, I don't have the page in front of me anymore, but uh, not long ago, I, uh, within the last, like the last two years or so. Turns out she was married to, remember Eddie Albert from Green Acres? Oh, sure. She was married to his son, Uh-oh. also named Eddie, or Ed. And he had been on an episode of one of the Star Treks, I forget, DS9, I think. I don't know, one of the Star Treks, but he had been on Star Trek as well. Um, I didn't recognize the the character that it said that he played or the episode or what I don't remember, but just thought that was interesting because she, she, and whenever I watch this episode, she always looks familiar to me, but if I've seen her in something else, I can't remember what it is. And looking at her credits, I didn't see anything that jumped out at me as like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's it. You know, but what's funny is, uh, this was one of those episodes I have always liked, but as a kid, I wouldn't fess up to it because Randy would rip on this episode mercilessly. <laughs> and I don't know if it was that he didn't like it or he just liked to really like pick on the cheesy bits. Cause the old man is hysterical. Oh God. Well, it's, yeah, it's a Van Gelder moment all. for sure. Oh yeah. Now it's something I never, I felt really stupid when I found this out. I never realized it before, but the old man is the same actor who's the lead scientist when Pike and the the landing party beam down to the planet in the cave. Oh. And that introduces Pike to Vina. You know the part I'm talking about? And then it turns out that that he's not even real. He's not real, right. Survivors, there weren't any survivors except for Vina, remember? Yeah. But yeah, it's the same guy. I was like, man, I never made that connection before. So I thought that was because in this it looks like he aged like twenty years yeah. between those oh, yeah. episodes. That's only like what three or four years of time, but it's just really weird. I never realized that was the same guy. But yeah, we used to remember we used to do that in school, like the teacher'd call on you and you'd give an answer and you'd do that little like pain wink thing. Like <laughs> I remember yes. doing that all the time, and they'd look at you like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" Yeah, they but did we that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this episode though. I I think this is actually one of the those type of episodes where the the backstory or you know the premise of it is actually a kind of a classic science fiction concept, yes. you know, uh, of these, you know, these people that don't realize, you know, the the bigger thing that's going on or whatever. I remember as a kid being like how could they not know? How could that knowledge be lost? But then as an adult, you know, I look at like our history, you know, and 
just you know in, in five thousand years. I can't years, forget we what I said yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah, well that. I can't but I mean, remember what I said yesterday. I mean, you know, I'm talking about <laughs> when you're, you know, when you're a population with a collective history and, and a collective knowledge and everything. How do you just forget something as important as? Oh, wait a minute, we're in, we're actually inside of a spaceship. But then you look ah, we could do that in America. We could do that in fifty years <laughs> if we put our minds to it. But no, seriously. I mean, you know, you you look back. I mean, because what is Kirk's Kirk or Spock? One of the two of them says they've been on this ship what like ten thousand years yeah. or something. And you look you look back at our own world history, and in just five thousand years, we can't remember who the hell built the pyramids or how. So yeah, I guess it's doable. Plus, you know? there was already there's already sort of the um, there was already sort of a structure set up there with the computer god, and right. and you know all the rules that they set up to sort of help that along too. You know that that was where they lived. Right. Because what do you think the Oracle was was I think suppressing? It was, I think it was purposely like that because my theory on it is that the original people were like, if these guys know that they're on a spaceship, if they psychologically know all the time that they're really in a big sealed bubble, they're gonna go crazy after a <laughs> while. It's 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 going to th- that won't be good. For it's better for them to think that they're on a planet and be healthy and happy. Because you noticed that it was very Eden-like. All the people were like very like, hi, how are you? You know, you could tell they were all very trusting. You know, the only one who was going to be suspicious of anything, anybody being up to something was, you know, the high priestess and the computer. Everybody else was, well, you had the guards would attack somebody, but they're just, you know, trained to do that. Everybody right. else was just sort of like walking around like the what the Eloy and um, the time machine just sort of like kind of right. dumb, dumb and happy and healthy and purdy and uh, just wait, you know, which they were probably like, it's better to keep them like that. And they'll still be smart. They'll still have their brains. But, you know. When they get when they get close to the planet, we'll start feeding them a little information. You know, they probably had a whole plan to feed them a little this and a little that, and then finally, you know, they would be ready to inhabit the new planet. Right. So, so it sort it sort of made sense to me. It didn't make sense to me when I was a kid. I was just like, what is it with, the, you know? Because you sort of would have, I would have expected the plot to be like like Vol. It, actually, this is funny because. We just did Vol, where it's like, okay, this is a computer gone bad, like Hal or something. But it wasn't really. It was sort of like the only thing that was wrong in this is one of the fuses had burned out and it had drifted off course and nobody knew it. Otherwise, it would have just gone along on its plan. See, that's one of the things I like about this one mm-hmm. is that there's not a bad guy. There's not a bad guy per se. I mean, arguably you could see the Oracle as a bad guy, but I never really Very did. Very next generation Star Trek where it's like yeah, you know, there's now a that clash you say that, of true. ideas, go- yeah. a clash of motivations going on, but nobody's, you know, cur- everybody's kind of a jer- everybody's kind of looking out for everybody else in this, but everybody's a kind of a jerk because they don't know the whole story or whatever right i mean yeah the the enemy in this one is ignorance and a in a, in a dogmatic belief right. system it's not really like a, a an enemy with a face 
And I, you know, I'm glad for that because I think in this instance, it, it's a relief, you know, and, and it, and it adds into the overall feeling of the story. But something that just occurred to me while we were talking about this, I, I can't decide if I'm glad that this didn't happen or I feel like it should have happened, but I honestly, they, everything seems pretty, pretty idyllic in this society. But I got to thinking, you know, if, if Natira is this hot and horny that the first guy that beams down, she's all over him and everything. They're all about, you know, making babies and what. Then how does their society live to have guys like old man? See, because shouldn't they have a whole Logan's Run scenario going on inside this asteroid so. for population control? You would think so. Or maybe they'd only let I, I didn't see any kids running around either. Everybody yeah, was about the same age, it seemed like. I could be wrong, but that scene where they first come down the stairs into the ship. Oh, you there know, was some kids? Stir- I, I thought there were, the, but maybe I'm projecting. I no, forget. you're probably more observant than, than I am with with stuff, so I'll, I'll, I'll believe you on that. I think... Well, I, I totally lost my train. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I think nothing. <laughs> Right, what I think is like a line that goes. <laughs> Some really, really, really good big three moments in this one. I have always been a big fan of the Spock nose scene, you know, where it's just the simple, you know, Spock's hand on McCoy's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it takes McCoy a moment to realize Spock's touching me, and Spock doesn't touch people because he's yeah. a touched telepath. So it, it takes him a minute to realize the importance of Spock is touching me. Yeah, and that moment he knew he knew that Spock knew before Kirk said he knows. Right. Kirk only said uh, that was a great scene because they didn't really they had to use just the minimum of words to communicate a whole string of things between three people. It was great. As a kid, I could be wrong because it's it's really hard for me to remember my personal Trek timeline because you know Trek is like Scott Rifen was saying last time around. You know Trek it was ever present for me as well. I I really don't remember a time when Trek wasn't some part of my life. But if I'm remembering properly, I, I think this was the episode or definitely one of the episodes that made me realize that they may fight, they may argue, they may, you know, McCoy can get really upset with him, but deep down, these guys are friends, and they're actually really good friends that care about each other, and I, and that was important. Well, I liked I how they handled this, because it could have been very melodramatic scenes of, like, yeah. dealing with McCoy going to die and Spock dealing with it, but it was, they really went for the more realistic where Kirk's like, I have to be professional about this. It was affecting all of them. And they, sh- you know, they would have, you know, Kirk was showing it by being extra, kind of extra protective of McCoy, but they didn't really push right. it. You know, they didn't really like stretch that out. They did it. They did it very subtly. The only thing that I thought kind of rang note was Kirk requesting a replacement almost immediately. But right. I think they might have done that to really trick the audience a little into thinking like maybe McCoy is not going to make it through this one because they're sort of setting up that's like in TV shorthand that was sort of setting up yeah maybe maybe this guy's contract is in dispute and he's like 
you know, maybe there's something going wrong on the scenes and we got, you know, uh, DeMorest Felly coming in to, <laughs> to play the same role. Because you know, that would happen a lot in TV shows, more like in the 70s and 80s. Right. But, you know, there would be a different Duke boy in there, a different roommate in Three's Company. <laughs> and uh, so I think yeah, maybe McCoy's that was a little look red like herring. going <laughs> to join the cast. <laughs> that, that was a little red herring to make the audience, you know, to, to put you off from, well, of course he's not going to die because this is, you know, he's got to be back for the next episode. Right. So that, but it it didn't really make sense to Kirk to do because McCoy was like, the first thing he told him is like, for that year I'm going to be fine and be able to do my duties just fine, and that's you know, as a doctor. And then he says that, and then he's holding his head and and being all woozy and passed that's out true. for, you know, it's like you know, you're going to be fine drunk. for the next yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I remember. Only- I remember what I was going to say back there. I don't think she was just I don't think she was just hot for like a guy and like ready to jump on the first person that came to the planet cuz she would have jumped on like one of the alpha males right away if it was going to be like oh the first alien that hot alien that comes down I think it was supposed to be one of those you know love at first sight soulmate eyes meet moments right. that's what it was totally filmed as it's just like <gasps> cuz it's McCoy <laughs> You got Kirk, Spock, and McCoy standing there, and then the woman in the in the genie outfit, and you know, <laughs> yes, master. It would have been. I, I wish they would have had a scene where she would have gone for McCoy, and Kirk would have been just like, "Hey, what about me?" But I like him. He's just like, "Oh, she seems to like you. Exploit the hell out of that. <laughs> See where you can get from that. Maybe you'll get some too." Nudge, nudge. I always liked. Uh, it's a bit of a slow read. But uh, Chris Bennett did that one book, uh, Ex Machina, which I know I reviewed on the show ages ago. But it was a direct continuation from Star Trek The Motion Picture. And in that story, they go back and meet up with Natira's people who have since relocated. They've, they've gotten to their new planet, essentially. And now they're living happily on you know New Eden or whatever the hell the name of their planet is. And McCoy goes back to spend time with her and everything. So I mean, this wasn't just a one-off. Time. Well, that's yeah. what Kirk hints at at the end of the... Right. Kirk, Kirk is definitely... Or Shatner has definitely got the girdle action going in this one. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I was like, oh yeah, third season. Yep. Otherwise, yeah. I would have placed this strongly in the second season. Well, you know, talking about uh, McCoy's illness and everything, like I said, I thought it was really well handled, but there was one moment. It's when they cut to the transporter room, and it's time for them to beam down. And just before Kirk and Spock come walking in, it's McCoy and Nurse Chapel are standing there, and I presume the transporter chief. And she's telling McCoy, she's like, you know, something about you know his illness. And she goes... Make every moment count. I'm thinking, is this the best time for this in the transporter room? You know, I'm about to beam down. What, what the hell? If you're Nurse Chapel and you're telling me that, you better expect like me to be like, all right, baby, <laughs> let's go to ten forward. <laughs> better yet, I'm I'm Leonard McCoy. I'll I'll synthesize four lines of space coke. What do you think of that? <laughs> Turn on the disco light. There you go. 
All right. Well, I told you that I had a nitpick that I caught for this one that apparently the nitpicker's guide did not catch. I'm really proud of myself on this one. I, I never occurred to me watching this as a kid or anything, but watching it uh, yesterday, it was all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, how does that work? All right. The Oracle, again, arguably the bad guy of the, of the story, but not really. But the Oracle never misses an opportunity to zap the living shit out of you whenever it can. Sometimes just for laughs. You, like I got this one, too. I got it, too. It's in my notes, too. I All think right, I what know it, where you're going. Yours? Why didn't it zap them when they decided, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to fix the thingy? Because it was and... way better to kill them with 90 degree, te- turning the temperature up to 90 <laughs> degree and turning a red light on. That's why. But it didn't work. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't even make Kirk break out in a sweat. No, their Which, skin should have started bubbling. That's how. You, I mean, if you have the, if you have the power at any time in that room, to make somebody freeze in their track while they're humping that statue like Kirk was earlier, I love that. That that was a shot that Randy used to just crack up on, where Kirk was like doing that like humping up on the statue with his arms out and Spock just (laughs) sitting there and Randy would just be like, because it goes on forever. If you can just freeze them in that spot and just, yeah, why can't you just freeze them there and frizzle? That would be the smart thing to do. Then they Mm -hmm. can't mess with anything. These guys, these guys were just like, the Oracle wasn't even going, no, stop, Dave. Dave, stop. (laughs) Please, Dave, stop. They just walked up and like, oh, here's the doorknob. You know, and luckily it was just like the Enterprise, even down to the grating that separators in the, you know, in its version of engineering. And yeah, and once they got in there, they started putting a little heat ripple in there. But. See, as a kid, I always thought that was radiation. Or so, so I was really hoping to be able to play my congratulations, you're now sterile joke, but <laughs> it doesn't work because it was just heat. But I really did think it was radiation when I was a kid. I was like, ooh, they have to hurry up. They're going to die. It's radiation. But it turns out it's not. They just got a bit of a suntan. No, if they'd been like a lot, if they'd taken like 40 minutes to do it, they might have like come out with a case of heat stroke and some second degree burns. <laughs> basically, basically... If you're going to go screw with the Oracle, wear rubber-soled shoes and bring some <laughs> aloe, and you're all set. You know, next to the MCP, I think the Oracle has the coolest computer voice I've ever heard. Yeah, he's badass. It's actually just Jimmy Doohan, but he's doing a really good... Uh, he's scary he sounding. Yeah, I like the voice in that one. That's honestly about all I've got on this one, though. I really dig this episode. Mm-hmm. I dig it a lot. I think it's actually a, it's one of the classics. I remember it being a slow one, and I remember Randy picking on it, so I wasn't looking as forward to it. And then I was watching it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is really good. I love the idea of the old guy climbing up to the mountain and, and touching the top of the sky. Mm-hmm. That's definitely got to be a mind blower. Well, you know, something very similar to that happens in that movie... Um, God, what was the name of that movie? The Truman Show. Yeah, the Truman Show. Yeah, where he ends up sailing right into the the painted picture of the sky on the on the far shore, which I always thought was cool. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie. I thought that movie could have been a lot better, 
But it's, it's the same kind of principle. When you think of how long ago that it's not wasn't made a long time ago, but it was made before the internet was really like the way it is now, and reality shows were the way they are now. It was it really was kind of prescient in a lot of ways, but yeah, it could have been a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Well, what you think? Time for the comic. I think we should take a break because I have a special presentation to pop in here. Okay. Dr. Bill Robinson has recorded another Star Trek song (laughs) based on the popular viral hit, What Does the Fox Say? That's all I say. (laughs) I think people could pretty much figure out where he was going with that. So I'll give you that, and then we'll be back, I'd like to say, with something less annoying, but... I think we could top it with this with the Star Trek DC comics. Kirk goes ah, Scott goes I, Bones goes damn, and Sulu says oh my. Chekhov screams, Hora hails. And the phasers go shoot, shoot. Doors go swish, and ship goes crash. And the alert goes whoop, whoop, whoop. But there's one sound that no one knows. What does the spark say? Illogical. Totally illogical. What the spark says? Most illogical. Totally illogical. What the Spock says? Hotty, hotty, hotty. Fascinating. Hotty, hotty, hotty. Fascinating. Hotty, hotty, hotty. What the Spock says? Jump, 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 jump. Ask me no further questions. I will not answer. What the Spock says? Big blue eyes, pointy ears, binding life and logging wormholes, tiny signs. On the screen, suddenly you're standing still. Your blood is green, so beautiful, like a devil in disguise. But if you meet a friendly hoarder, will you communicate by ma ha 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 no, ma ha 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 no, ma ha 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 no? How will you speak to that? What does the spark say? Error, law, imperfection. Error, law, error. What the spark say? Energize, pure energy. Energize, pure energy. Energize, Vulcans never bluff. What the spark say? Can you give me a war bait? The computer cannot make an error. What the Spock say? Live long and prosper. Acknowledged. Dazzling display of logic. What the Spock say? The secret of the Spock. Folk and mystery. Somewhere deep in the ship. I know you're hiding. What is your sound? Will we ever know? We'll always be a mystery. What do you say? You're my fucking angel, hiding in deep space. 
Welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 61, TOS edition. And now we're going to get into the funny book portion of the show. (laughs) It's not that funny. Let's get right to it. DC Star Trek number 43 from October of 1987. I was out of high school and running around aimlessly. 75 cents, which was probably more than I had in my pocket at the time. Uh, we got Michael Carlin, writer, Tom Sutton, pencils, Ricardo Villagran, inks, Augustus Moss, letters, and Michelle Wolfman, Wolfman, colors, and Robert Greenberger, the editor. So basically, and and uh, Sutton and Villagran cover. So basically, the, the same same cast and crew as we've had for for quite a while, for the most part, except for uh, the new writer. And this one is called Paradise Lost. The Return of the Serpent, which is the sequel to The Apple, which, if you remember, we covered last month. Kirk and a landing party beam down to Gamma Trianguli 6 to check up on how things have been going on the uh, Eden-like world since he uh, blew up their computer 20 years or so back in uh, The Apple. Turns out, things aren't going so hot. There are weird dinosaurs that disappear when shot with phasers except the landing party has a pussified Klingon that cries and and gnashes his teeth before even trying to shoot the projected beast. Um, then they find the inhabitants are now led by Makora, the guy Chekhov taught how to scrog. Now, that sounds wrong. But uh, anyway, he is now their leader because he has amassed the most wives and made the most babies. Unfortunately, there are still pesky Volites, and one even tries to kill Kirk. Kill Kirk. The people worship Kirk and crew as gods who whooped Val back in the day, but Makora decides that it's a better idea to drug them, marry Konan's woman, and kill McCoy in front of his people so that will cement his power as a god-killer and god-marrier. Konam unaffected by the drug and the food due to his Klingonness, takes the initiative and runs away. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Bearclaw is still a douche. McCoy ends up in the arena from Attack of the Clones on a lizard steed, ready to get skewered by Makura. Kirk and Spock and Chekhov get the rack, but Spock breaks free and they escape to find Konam leading a throng of Volites who are led by Akuta the old uh, leader from the Apple, who uh, was the, the minion of Val. McCoy is beamed to safety, but Nancy, Nancy, Conan's girlfriend, is left behind, but Conan swings to her rescue, and Kirk has the Enterprise stun the crowd, piece of the action style. He is met by Akuna, his old buddy, but Kirk has no time for that. He's trying to hail the ship and get the hell out of there. But on the Enterprise, it appears that everybody is drunk and passed out. Or worse. 
next time. They're dead, Jim. And that's it for Star Trek 43. What'd you think of my lovingly crafted synopsis? Um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun because as it turns out, I also wrote a synopsis for Whoa. this issue because I wasn't sure which of us were doing the synopsis for oh, this well, particular Oh, well, we can't let a comic. synopsis go to waste now, can we? <laughs> so this should be fun <laughs> because my synopsis pretty much covers every issue that I had with this particular Oh, yeah, so. I left all the juicy ones out, so good. Now we can get <laughs> to them. All right, so here we go. Star Trek number 43, <laughs> the October 1987 issue, on sale July 7th, 1987, covered by Joe Borzowski, Robert Lewis, uh, showing Spock and somebody else shooting well, at a You did your research on the cover. Picture. I just faked yeah. it. I got nothing. Uh, original cover price, 75 cents. Paradise Lost, The Return of the Serpent, Part 1. It was written by Mike Carlin, Tom Sutton, Pensler, Ricardo Villagran, Inker. I don't care about the rest of the people. <sighs> At the behest of the Federation president himself, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Chekhov return after 20 years to the planet Gamma Trianguli 6, scene of the awe-inspiring original series episode, The Apple. Accompanying them are Nancy Bryce and, of course, everybody's favorite Star Trek Monthly Monday semi-regular whipping boy, Conom the Pussified Klingon. Oh, welcome back, baby. We're going to have some fun <laughs> with you. He is especially pussified oh, oh in this particular God. episode. <laughs> Don't worry. So after some looking around at their original uh, beam in sight and wondering what the hell happened to Paradise, the landing party are attacked by a giant lizard. Think shitty looking comic book dinosaur, and you pretty much got the visual on this one. Uh, that Spock says isn't really, really there at all. Conom dangers everybody when his pussifist ways cause him to not want to shoot Barney and, you know, help his, you know, t you know save his shipmates' lives and everything. Not the least of do which his is duty. his girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> do his duty. Uh, eventually, Dino is phasered and fades away and the natives come out to play. Looks like Makura is in charge now and everyone worships Kirk, which is the way it should be, honestly. But everybody worships Kirk and the original landing party players. Well, the ones that didn't meet a gruesome red shirt fate anyway. You know, and I thought that this raises a really interesting question. Based on those jackets, aren't they all now technically red shirts? So how the yeah. hell does anybody expect to get out of this one alive? And who the hell would voluntarily <laughs> even go on this mission? It's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not designing all the new army camouflage <laughs> with targets. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, Kirk is in a pickle. He's seeing firsthand the result of his disregard for the Prime Directive. Too bad it's in a, such a shitty, poorly drawn, and generally boring story. So anyway, that night at supper, uh, Macarena drugs the landing party, and thanks to his pussy physiology, everybody but, everybody but Konam succumbs. Macadamia is intent on marrying the goddess Nancy and slaying the rest of the landing party to cement his place in history or something like that. Conan, being a peaceable kind of guy, doesn't like confrontation and dives out the window and runs away. You know, gosh, it, 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 it's, it's... He thinks so about it a lot before he runs away, <laughs> but the, yeah. It's so easy to see exactly what Nancy finds so appealing about oh, this. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Oh, yeah, he must, be, he's, he must be great at parties. 
<laughs> Sometime later, Kirk, Spock, and Chekhov escape being tortured on the rack and try to find Dr. McCoy, who has been sentenced to fight Makura to the death in a jousting arena, all episode two style, complete with giant alien lizard beasts to ride. They run smack into Konam, who surprisingly has managed to recruit Akuta Kinte, former leader of the people back in the good old days when everybody worshipped Val, and those pals of his are still loyal to the old ways. So the fight is on between warring factions, and in the confusion, McCoy is rescued by Beamout, Nancy is rescued by Konam, believe it or not, and Kirk does something or other with the ship's phasers that he calls a stun on wide dispersal, but apparently the artists obviously didn't know what the hell that was supposed to look like, so they just drew some shit blowing up. The day is saved when Kirk calls up the Enterprise and we are treated to the final panel of everybody on the bridge looking exactly like how I felt after reading this humdinger. Next issue, they're dead Jim. What do you think? <laughs> Next issue is the last issue, right? <laughs> oh, man. After this one, I hope so. Jeez. Oh, my God. Well, what a gift from Konam this one was, though. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is, a, the, I think, this new writer's first real journey into Konam territory. And we get to see his internal dialogue. And man, does not really help um, help the Konam character at all. He's, he's on these away missions. It could be dangerous. He's got a phaser and stuff. And anytime, it's like, I can't do this. I swore not to ever do violence. And, any, and meanwhile, each time, it's when his the people he's come down with are in you know danger of their lives basically it's not like it's not like hey konam we're gonna go uh muscle up this village or cause some trouble here it's more like this dinosaur is gonna eat us and kirk's like set phasers on stun so konam's not even gonna kill the guy and it's just this like panel after panel of internal dialogue of like I sh I cannot yet. I must, but I cannot. I swore I wouldn't. I do not want to be like the other Klingons. It's just like, trust me, dude. You're already not like the other Klingons. You're fine <laughs> on that. You got it down. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna put it here that Konam is pussified more than 99% of any human could possibly be. He's just like one of the most wishy-washy characters ever 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 just oh <laughs> with the scene where he runs away and the, you know what the ultimate awfulness of it is is and he even addresses it himself is he's all against violence but he'll bring an army of volites to come and slaughter everybody you know the, and and he was like well it, you know they're the ones doing the I don't have to do any violence with them here it's just like Oh, okay, so that's... Okay, wash your hands of that. <laughs> you don't have any, any violence on your hands there now, Konam. And he just writes it right off. And... Ah, oh, it's just... Bad. Bad character. Bad. Bad writing. Bad drawing. I mean, shall we go into... How long do we have to... Uh, <laughs> start picking apart this art? Oh, uh, you know... I honestly, I'm. I don't. I didn't take a single no. I wrote every, all of my grievances were were in my synopsis. I I couldn't even begin on this because it's just it's every panel, every page. I have an issue somewhere. It's top to bottom horrible. 
I, I honestly, I did not find any redeeming qualities in this issue. Other I mean, than just Schadenfreude, basically. <laughs> as, I, I, I was enjoying it because I was like, oh my god, we're going to go up and down Konam for this one. <laughs> you know, basically, that's the best I could do, you know? That's well, his it. very first thought balloon to himself, he says, sometimes I wish I was more like my race, the Klingons. You are a Klingon! And then they cop- What are you talking about? They have these two sequences on board with Scotty and Sulu running the Enterprise that both are exactly the same. Just a, It's almost like a daily car, like a Garfield strip or something, where it's like the first panel is Sulu and Scotty saying something, and then Bearclaw says something douchey, and then there's a shot with both of them looking at him and, you know, telling him to shut up or whatever, stow it flow actually in this one but it's the same shot of like sulu in a close-up and scotty in the background both you know looking right at the at the camera or you know right out the panel and they and they just repeat that whole thing and i I think they even repeat like you know the the opening shot of like the enterprise orbiting the planet and it just doesn't work it doesn't i mean it does it, it, it is sort of like okay let's uh let's show that bear claw's still here and he's still a douche basically Right. And, uh, I mean, let's see. When was the exact date that we started, stopped caring at all about Lieutenant Bearclaw as a character whatsoever <laughs> or ever wanting to see him again? So, yeah, it, it just seems hurriedly drawn, mm-hmm. overly wordy, and just ridiculous. And it's a two-parter, even though it sort of resolves... Well, except it, you know, with some, they could have resolved it without having the obviously the dinosaur figures into this somehow, because it doesn't do anything for this. You know, what's what's the use of the projected dinosaur? How does that fit into the story? We have no idea. So I'm assuming. Hell no. I'm assuming that's part two. Is we get we get to get that answer answered finally. It's driving me nuts. The burning question of the day. I just can't believe Nancy isn't ready to kick Konam's ass for just after this. Uh, I wish they would have had one point where she's just like, you know what? I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) All his other wives say it's great. (laughs) And Konam, you know, he's not he's not doing me any. He's not doesn't have my back. It's just ridiculous. What were they thinking? I I don't know. Tell me. It's <laughs> it's at a point here where uh, I'm I'm actually starting to be a little embarrassed for so vigorously defending Mike Carlin because I, I I can't defend this issue. It was just awful. Well, you know, just not awful. only do they put the okay, they put him on the rack. All right, whatever. They got the rack. But why do the guys have to dress like? you know torture you know the torturers in a, a medieval dungeon you know they have the hood they're just in medieval dungeon this isn't one of those like alternate earth worlds so why why all of a sudden you know it's just laziness you know and it's also laziness that like all right they escape the, the rack but not out of no ingenuity it's in, on Spock's part, you know, yeah, he just uses a he super just, strength. He just pulls and... his foot out and attacks him. So, 
you know, where at least Star Trek would have had at least I like Captain. I've been working. I am able to contract my Vulcan ankles and <laughs> whatever. I don't know. No, please, dear God. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, do you want to do you want to pick the next one for this one? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me get the old computer started up and let's get the <laughs> hell out of here. Yep. Let's let's beat a hasty retreat. And uh and also just just to warn you after I've been telling you so much that you got to listen to the next generation this month. It ain't happening this month. You're getting a bonus long episode of Yep. And we're going to double up on the next generation next month. There won't be two episodes, but there'll be two episodes in the one single episode. Yeah, I do apologize, folks, but we're running up against yeah, the clock. So uh, that's the only reason that next gen's not going to happen. That said, um, let me just. Uh, shouldn't you be satisfied by this comic episode. alone? That's what <laughs> yeah, I right. Let me just uh, give the shout out that I was going to give in the beginning of the the next gen episode and say thank you to Scott Rifen for filling in for Football Monthly Monday. I do appreciate that very much. Football Monthly Monday, I like that. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. I was I was giving him shit about it in, in PMs yesterday about it because I listened to the episode. I'm like, what, what? What? Where's the Star Trek in this? You're talking about football, dude. But just playfully, just playfully. All right, pick an episode already. All right. Number 18. 18. We have done. That was Arena with the Gorn. All right, punching in another one. Number 48. Number 48 is... We've done that one. That was A Private Little War, which I am not doing again. <laughs> okay. Punching in. With the Mugatu. Number number six. Number six we have done. That was Mud's Women. Ooh, I'm glad not to be doing that again. <laughs> All right. Good music in that one. Though. Yes. It took me forever to figure out what the hell episode were they pulling the bulk of the really eerie music from the Tholian web? What episode was that pulled from? Because it's all, all recycled. All episodes. Most of it one. is from Mud's Women, believe it or not. All it right. took me forever to figure that out. What about episode 50? Episode 50 is... <gasps> we have, wait, have we done this one? Patterns of Force. Which one is that? We just did. That was the one yeah, for that's the, the Space Hitler. Right? Yeah, why the hell have I done that? All right, come on, computer. List. I got to get this computer more complicated so it can take stuff out. All, All right. right. Oh, this is interesting. Have we done 77 yet? 77 is the Savage Curtain. <laughs> Ass kicking Abe. Oh! <gasps> Ass kicking Abe and uh, Spock or again. All right, you know what we have to do for this one? Then we have to come up with a cheesy '70s cop show theme for for Ass kicking Abe and Genghis. <laughs> I'm telling you, I the still that's the show that show. never was. The but that's the buddy cop show that I want most right there is Abe Lincoln and Genghis Khan on the beat in the seventies driving like a like a what, what the hell was that car from Starsky and Hutch an El Torino or whatever the hell that was <laughs> an El Torino with a special like special uh, roof on it to accommodate Abe's hat 
No, the roof is Abe's hat. It's like one of those oh. like California crazy style cars. Yes. The giant Abraham Lincoln stove type hat, hat on top of the car painted black. Oh, I'm loving this show. This has got to happen. <laughs> oh, man. I, oh, my God. I'm looking forward to this episode. I am so looking forward to this episode. All right, Savage Curtain. There you go. That should be great. So next month, expect a. It's going to be a crazy month. <laughs> crazy month. Crazy. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website. Donate any amount at all. Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop... Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. Yeah.